to remain standing. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to that prayer that Keith just prayed in Philippians chapter 4. It's uh, neat how the Lord works through things, even quite uncoordinated on the outside, but He pulls it together on the inside. And as He was praying and thanking God and asking for His grace from Philippians 4, that is the passage from which I'll be preaching. I'm going to look down at verse 10 through verse 13. Now, as we consider uh, this spirit that Paul is commending for us to follow. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, but I have learned in whatever state I am, to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Our great Father in heaven, we ask that you would pour out your Spirit upon us, take command of our minds, and govern our spirit with the joy of Christ, as we are rooted in Him, we ask that You would deeply root us in Him and strengthen our faith. And may He who is our life live it all the more boldly through us to Your divine glory, giving us joy and constant prayer and wonderful, glad gratitude with thankful hearts. For all that you have done. And we ask that you would apply these things to our lives to shape us and to form our character into a character of virtue, a virtue of contentment. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Thank you. This morning I'm bringing a Thanksgiving message for 2020. How fitting that is that I should bring a Thanksgiving message for 2020. This has been one of the most unusual years of my life pertaining to all the events of the world around us, and it's not over yet. The coronavirus has brought a level of uncertainty and fear, and with it, new anti-social measures. That eventually was used to promote even political agendas, even turning against the church itself and everything that we stand for. We had social injustice rioting that was precipitated in the death of George Floyd in May and that continues even to this day with continued fostering of that spirit which fueled then fires like Black Lives Matter and Antifa. And these protests which turned violent are still going on with their Marxist ideologies quite at work around our, our land, our nation today. We've seen the irrational moves by politicians to defund the police in many cities across our nation. It's, it's a crazy, mixed-up world. 
out there. And we've seen much of the church jump on the social justice bandwagon before they clearly checked to see what wagon they were truly riding. But this year we're also seeing the churches, and many of them close, never to open again. We're seeing pastors leaving the ministry in record numbers. We're seeing members leave their churches in record numbers. Churches that they've been a part of for years. Pastors are seeing an unprecedented level of marriage issues and are spending more time in counseling than ever before. And we come to this time of the year, which has been traditionally set aside as a special time to give thanks. And when we look back on the year behind us, it's easy to remember the the bad things. And we tend to focus and we tend to dwell on those things and talk about those things. And when we engage our spirit upon those things, we get upset about those things. Or we get upset because things aren't going our way. So this morning, I think it's fitting to consider not only the giving of thanks to God with gladness and sincerity, but with verbose robustness. But there's a spirit from which this glad gratitude flows. And that is what I would like for us to consider. It's a spirit that is a different kind of spirit than what we see in the world. It's part of this new humanity that God in Christ has made us to be. Because when they knew God, they did not acknowledge Him as God and neither were thankful. So then He turns them over to a kind of reprobate thinking of which in Christ we have been renewed in the knowledge of Christ and are being renewed. And with the Spirit that Paul is getting at here at the end of Philippians chapter 4, it is a character of virtue from which thanksgiving will emerge naturally, or I should say, as second nature. He says, for I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. When Paul says that he learned how to be content, he uses the same word here that is used in Hebrews when it says that Jesus learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And really the the spirit of which will come thanksgiving, is rooted right back into the sufferings of Christ. Because you'll find through this epistle, on several occasions, Paul says, be like me as I am like Christ. I'm showing you an example, and Christ has shown us an example. So he says to the Philippians, I I am a living example to the way that you need to be thinking and living life. Now I've got some things to show you. I've got some things I want you to learn because I had to learn them. 
And I've learned them from Christ who learned them. And Christ learned obedience through the things which he suffered or by the things which he suffered. And I learned contentment by the things which I've suffered. And those things are rooted in the very obedience of Christ, who is our life, who is the merit, who is our righteousness. And Paul says, I will just give all of those other things, all of my self-righteousnesses, that's just but dung in order to obtain this righteousness of my Lord and now even rejoice to fellowship in his suffering. This is what Paul is getting at in this little epistle to show us the secret of a life and a virtuous character from which glad gratitude will flow. So Paul is saying, I've learned to be content. Jesus says, I learned obedience. And this learning, this word here, is a word of discovery, an experiential learning. It's not that I have got a head knowledge about it now, and you've told me something in terms of my mind. It has literally an experiential discovery, like learning experientially the secret to the matter of how to be content in life. Now this contentedness in which Paul was speaking of here is a state of being. It is a stable characteristic in his spirit from which thanksgivings and prayer and joy come. It's the fountainhead. It's a virtue. If you were to sum up what Paul's theme is in Philippians, in the epistle that he's writing, I think you could borrow that theme in a nutshell from what he spoke to in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, the epistle that he writes back to the Thessalonican church. And he says this, he says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Three things. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. Say that. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. You almost have it. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What is the will of God for me? I wasn't even looking for an answer. That was good. <laughs> All right, we're tracking. You know, when you're looking for the will of God in your life, this is it. This is the will of God in your life. In every situation, in every occasion, in every time, in every part of your life, it is these three things. This is the will of God, and it can only happen in Christ Jesus. But in Christ Jesus, it happens. Now Paul gives the secret of how he learned this in life, experientially learned it in life. And being able to do just those things with a genuine heart 
feeling without hypocrisy, and he's sharing with the Philippians some very practical things so that we can also learn from him the same kinds of things to be content no matter what, to be content. So if we're going to have a characteristic joy, if we're going to be characterized by someone who's just in constant, unceasing praying, a, a, a praying person, and if we're going to be characterized as a person that just spills out glad gratitude and thanksgivings to God, then we're going to have to come to the place of the virtue of contentment. Because that is the heart from which these things flow. Let's go back and look at a living example, because twice, at least twice, that I'm recalling of, I believe in chapter 3, and now even in this chapter in verse 9, he's saying now, uh, the things that I've learned, I want you to learn. Follow my example. I've learned them from Christ. So I want you to see a living example of what this spirit of contentment looks like. It's going to be a little different than what you see out there. You may recall, and I'm flipping the page back a page so that I can kind of do a survey through some of the things in Philippians. You may recall that Paul's writing this epistle from prison. This is one of what we call the prison epistles. Think about that for a moment. He is in prison writing this epistle. What's he in prison for? For stealing? For murder? No, he's in prison for his deeds of righteousness in preaching the gospel. He's in prison where he was arrested and jailed unrighteously, and injustice is going on in his life. Okay? Really important to get that. Paul is a true victim who is truly oppressed, and we see in this epistle how he responds to his current living circumstances, and he writes and he begins this way, verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making mention of you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. This is how he begins. He does not begin, dear Philippians, it is a bad thing that's happened to me here. I hope that this doesn't happen to you. And this is a great injustice for whatever it is. And we need to stand up against this and all kinds of rights. And da 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 And Paul was a Roman citizen by birth. He used that card before, but he only used it for the glory of God. Now Paul begins this little epistle of showing us by example and by his commendation to us of the things, of the very practical things in here, of how we are to be content. And it's not how we are just to merely be that. It's a character virtue that he is saying by habitual practice you will come to understand and, and have. Godliness with contentment great gain. So therefore, discipline yourself unto godliness. And so he writes, and in the very beginning of this opening address, he is 
thanking God and he's doing it with every prayer and he's doing it with joy. There's our trilogy. Paul's opening words of thanksgiving, he goes on to describe a situation in prison. And he goes on in that chapter and he says, you know, some are out there preaching the gospel. Some are with pretense in order to add affliction to my bonds. They're doing it not sincerely. They're doing it in hypocrisy. They're doing it to try to just add salt to the wound. But you know how he responds to that? But I rejoice, nevertheless, because Christ is preached and the gospel is embraced. Even my, my, the ones, the soldiers in the whole Praetorium Guard are hearing of the gospel. How good is that, Paul is saying. His response to all of this, verse 18, only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is preached and I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. He goes on to tell them about the mind and the Spirit of Christ in in chapter 2 that we looked at not long ago. It's one of humility and trusting in Christ. And Christ was living a life of which He was trusting in His Father. How many injustices have been done to our Lord and Savior? And yet He opened not His mouth. He was willing to die and he was willing to suffer because there was a greater cause. And Paul is now learning to live and he is learning to die because of a greater cause. For me to live is Christ and it's beneficial to you, but for me to die is gain. But I choose to live on in the flesh because you have great need for me to live. This was not a selfish thing, quite the contrary. It was the spirit where his joy was being fulfilled as he was, by example, esteeming others, the church of Philippi, better than himself so that for him to live through all of the sufferings and the afflictions that he was going to endure for the sake of living for them, he was going to do it so their joy could be full. That's the example of Christ, the example of Paul, and that's an example for us to follow. He tells them about this this life, and he goes on to say, yes, Christ suffered in this life. He learned obedience through the things which he suffered, and now I am learning contentment to the extent that I desire to fellowship, participate, have communion with his sufferings, Philippians 3.10. In other words, the gospel and its life so overshadowed every earthly trial that Paul would say that he counts all things but loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him not having my own righteousness which is of the law That which through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed even to His death. And then he begins to conclude chapter 4. So he's given us 
a lot of these, this life in Christ, the exhortations, and, and now he's going to bring it to conclusion. That's when he says, therefore. Old pastor of mine says, if you ever come to a therefore, look and see what it is there for. And therefore is a word of conclusion. I Now I'm concluding, my beloved brethren and long for, uh, my joy and my crown stand fast in the Lord, beloved. And he's going to conclude. And as he begins to conclude, he's going to give several key instructions for us to learn the secret experientially of contentment, a state of virtue from which then... Joy, unceasing prayer, and thanksgiving will just flow. It'll become automatic. It'll come, become part of your second nature as you develop this character and virtue of contentment. So he begins to instruct them and us in some key lessons in verse 4, he commends them to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He's putting this in the imperative, a command. And while joy is a fruit of the Spirit, it is now something that is commanded. Sometimes there's tension between the indicative and the imperative. But you can only command that which God's given us grace to do, to be successful in. As Augustine would say, Lord, ask what thou wilt and grant what thou request. And so here we have these things coming to bear. He commends them to rejoice. He puts this in the form of a command, not a state of feeling. The act of rejoicing sometimes must precede the feeling of joy. And the biblical concept of joy is rooted in really a sense of satisfaction. A sense, there's a satisfaction in life rooted in Christ. And that is what brings a peace that passeth all understanding. And it is the satisfaction, the satisfied life, satisfied in God. Even in difficult times and sorrowful times, a Christian can rejoice and have a deep sense of satisfaction in the fullness of Christ. It was for the joy set before him that Christ endured the shameful death of the cross. Satisfied. So, he commends us to rejoice. Second of all, He commends us to gentleness. Verse 5, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Don't let, miss that last phrase. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is here. The Lord is right now. He is right at hand. He is present with us. Let your gentleness be known. Now, how do those two things fit together? Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord's got this. The word gentleness is this, this mildness that, that is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a mildness, this meekness that comes about in the inner quality of a person's spirit. As you think about the fruit or the, the works or the deeds of the flesh, the 
in Galatians chapter 5 that is in contrast with the fruit of the Spirit, we see harshness, and down in the fruit of the Spirit, we see mildness. And the works of the flesh or the deeds of the flesh are, are anger and wrath and malice and evil concupiscence and harshness. And then we see, and that's how we're all born with that kind of natural state of fallen, sinful condition, harshness in your spirit deep down inside. But as we walk in the spirit, and he brings forth a mildness. A gentleness in spirit, meekness. You have to remember Paul's writing these words from jail, imprisoned unjustly. Compare what Paul is exhorting us here with much of what we see in the American culture today. If you play along with the culture around you, you're going to miss the spirit of contentment. It's absolutely contrary to what Paul's talking about. The enlightened spirit of revolution in my spirit is in contrast to this. To be joyful and to be thankful, not as acts to perform, but as a spirit that governs our demeanor, we must come to a spirit of resignation. I will probably be misunderstood on this point. I will probably be challenged on this point. But there comes a resignation because the Lord is at hand. Resignation where injustices will occur against us and we will not always get what we want. Resignation that we can't and shouldn't always fight for our personal rights and our personal justice. I, I have a tendency to want to just qualify that because I can already see in your minds a spirit of the age that may be standing against this very thing that Paul is giving us the example of right here. Yes, we're always stand for righteousness. We're always to stand for justice. We are to live these virtues, but we can't live a life in a spirit of combativeness for our personal justices and rights. A spirit of combativeness. But rather, the Lord is at hand. Be gentle and let your gentleness be known unto all men. And the way we do that is to realize the Lord is right here. The Lord is right here. He's in control of the situation. Gentleness, meekness, mildness, not combative, argumentative, and defensive kind of spirit. If you don't learn that, you're not going to learn contentment. You have to say, and have to realize, and have to trust, the Lord's got this. 
The Lord's got this injustice that's going on. The Lord sees. He knows. Perhaps maybe we should take an understanding from another man who was in prison, one of our fathers, John Bunyan. He says, if we have not quiet in our minds, outward comfort will do no more for us than a golden slipper on a gouty foot. Now here was a man who was also in prison for a long period of time, away from his family, and away from his church that he shepherded. And he's commending to us mildness. And that is a key to the spirit of contentment. Next, in verse 6, Paul exhorts us not to be anxious. Do not worry, do not fear, don't be anxious in your spirit. Because that's going to work against the whole spirit, the whole virtue of contentment, which will then bring forth joy and gratitude and and a constant spirit of prayer. From which that spirit of which I'm trying to commend that Paul says will come the actions of these things quite second hand, quite second naturally, quite automatically. So how did Paul learn to deal with this? And he's he's actually showing us here how he dealt with this when he suffered from an anxious spirit. See, Paul is not immune to it. Paul is also human, and Paul also struggled with an anxious spirit. He says, how do you deal with an anxious spirit when you get there? And he says, you know, you need to pray and pour your heart out to God. As Peter would say, casting all of your burdens upon the Lord, for He cares for you. As the psalmist would say, I have poured out my complaint to God. By the way, there is a godly way to complain and an ungodly way to complain. Let me just be very brief. An ungodly way to complain is to somebody else. A godly way to complain is to the Lord Himself. And so you pour your heart out to God, but you do it with something. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. Let your troubles be known unto God. Share your heart with Him. And where your troubles abound, let your thanksgiving much more abound. And God says the promise of His peace will surpass. That means it will abound even further than your own comprehension and understanding. And it will keep, that is the word guard, it will protect your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Everything is going to come back to the Lord Jesus Christ in Christ Jesus. And fourth, Paul then exhorts us to be feeding our minds with good things and not bad. Verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, and whatsoever things are noble, and whatsoever things are just, and whatsoever things are pure, and whatever things are lovely, and whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything 
praiseworthy, meditate on these things. What are you feeding your mind with today? What is the diet of your thought life? What are you feeding it with? What are you thinking about? What are you watching from the world? What are you hearing from the world? I dare say, from the world you're not hearing this. Things on which we are to meditate are things that are, number one, they're true. They're they're things that are true. What are we so fed with today is all of the abuse and the lies and and the frauds. And we, if we just have a diet and we just meditate on those things and, and turn them over in our heads, all the, you're not going to be following what Paul says, I've learned the secret to be content. Folks, you shouldn't be surprised that lying and fraud and election cheating and, and, and political agendas based on pandemics and you should not be surprised at all that that is just rampant in the world always has been always will be as long as satan is the father of lies and he's the god of this world and he's the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is governing this kind of character but folks just Think about it this way. Rejoice in the fact that you can see and detect the truth because the Spirit of God indwells you. But be focused on the truth, not on the error. Meditate on the things that are true. Don't focus on things that are not. Discontentment arises when we're always complaining about injustice and deception and lies in the world. And guess what? There's not going to be any end to that until Christ conquers them with the gospel. And he's going to conquer them with the gospel as you learn to focus on the truth. And when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And that truth is in the Son himself who will set you free. So whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, noble, whatsoever things are of royal, kingly, aristocracy of God, of His sovereign nobility, of dignified virtue. Think on those things. Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are right and good, whatsoever things are pure, that word pure I looked up one of the definitions from the, the Greek on this. Exciting reverence. <laughs> Exciting reverence. That doesn't quite sound like the word that we would think for pure, but it has to do with sacred. Whatsoever things are of exciting, sacred, in the presence of God. Think on those things. Holiness. Whatsoever things are lovely. Those things which are beautiful and attractive in the way that God sees them so that they're pleasing and good. Whatsoever things are of a good report, good news, that's what the Gospel is. Good sounding words. Words of good omen, if you will. Things of virtue. 
Things that are worthy to be praised. Things that are worthy to be exalted. These are the things that we need to feed our minds with. These are the things that we need to, to share each other our stories and our testimonies so that our minds are fed with each other and from the good news of the Gospel that comes from Christ. Feed on these things. Meditate. I was sharing with someone this past week. You know what meditation is? It's like a front-loading washing machine. And you see the the stuff, you know, your clothes or a dryer. And you take a thought and you meditate on it. You, you just turn it over. And you turn it over. And you turn it over. That's what you are to do with the truth and the Scripture all day long. Oh, wow. And then I think about something. And then, oh, there's an application. Oh, and look at it here. And look at it there. That is what you are to do with these things that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtue. Think, meditate on these things. Now this is how Paul learned the secret of contentment. Which is the spirit from which the joy and the constant praying and thanksgiving then spill forth. And he says in verse 9, he's saying now, these things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the peace of God be with you. See? I've learned it. I'm teaching it to you. You learn it. Go and do these things. And so he says, here's your example. Now what he is, this is, this is going to be a little parsing here. What he is not getting at is the mere activity of rejoicing, praying, and giving you thanks but a spirit, a character of life, a virtue. But when this character of life is in you, then the fruit of that character naturally spills forth. Or I should say, second nature that has been developed in you spills forth. See, I'm actually tying this back to things I'm hoping you have gained since Sabbath festival. Rejoicing in the Lord always and in all times. Constantly abiding in unceasing prayer and thanksgiving to God. The character is developed by the training of a disposition through the habits which then Paul exhorts us in this chapter by way of imperative or command. Rejoice, let your gentleness be known, do not be fearful or anxious, but meditate on the right kinds of things. Now these are habits that will form your character to a virtue of contentment. It's not natural for you to be content. But he says now through these habits and these decisions that you make every single day in the power and the strength of Christ, this virtue, this spirit will be trained by these kinds of actions. Now, they may seem, and they probably will, seem unnatural at first. Rejoice in the Lord always, in every situation? Yes. Let your gentleness be known to all people, all the time? Yes. Well, that's not natural. Yeah, it's not going to be natural. He's telling you of a different way of being human. Perhaps you might even feel, like I do sometimes, disingenuous or hypocritical in them. 
But what you're doing is you're training your spirit toward being content in every circumstance by following what is already commanded in the Scripture. So we come back around to our text. Paul says it takes Christ to be successful in these things. You're not going to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ is the strength of contentment. Most often Christians will use this particular text. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. (laughs) And you know how many contexts that is actually used in? uh, And how Christians use that as conquering some great challenge. I don't know how we're going to win this game. I can do all things through Christ. (laughs) No. No. Climbing the highest mountain. Now I can do all that. No. Let's don't go there, okay? Discovering the great depths of the sea. I can make it to the top. I can make it through this trial. I can endure the test. I can rise to the top. I can do all things. I can do all things. I can do Hit the reset button right now on that. Hit the reset button on, I'm pulling myself up by my proverbial bootstraps and the odds are against me, but with the help of Christ, I'm going to do it. No. And what Paul is saying in this verse, he says, by the strength of Christ, I have learned to be content in every circumstance I have found myself in. I've learned to be content in the great times. By not presuming upon God and and being humble with thanksgiving because I remember also the times when I'm abased and I can be content. I've learned it there too. And whatever state I'm in, I've learned the secret of what it means to have the virtue of contentment now. Because I've learned it through suffering. And I commend it to you, Philippians. I commend it to you, Heritage. Because I can do all things. I can be content with the strength of Christ. When you're on the mountaintop and are glorying in success, even contributing it to Christ who strengthens you, can you also equally be content in the failure and being able to be content in Christ as well? You failed. I could not do that. I failed. No. In the failure, can you be content? And if you have the secret that He is teaching us here, you can. You can be equally content in the valley as well as on the mountaintop. And that's where the real power is needed, is in the valley. George MacDonald, last century, says to Have what we want is riches, but to be able to do without is power. N.T. Wright says about this passage as it relates to thanksgiving, the all things that Paul is talking about has to do with the ability to trust God during times of desperation and in times of abundance. In both, we are called to connect with the heart of God. Thanksgiving isn't just a way of being a bit less grumpy or being a bit more cheerful. It is a habit of the heart which indicates the nature and the particular shape of the worldview. 
It is closely associated with joy for which Paul is one of the primary signs of the Spirit's work. Another person that I did not write down the quote, I pulled it from something. Oh no, this is from me, uh, from the old sermon. Uh, I'm doing a lot of cutting and pasting here. Uh, A Christian must learn how to be gentle and calm in adversity, and he must also learn to be humble and not presuming in prosperity. See, the key is the spirit, the virtue of contentment. And the power of contentment is Christ. And the reception of that power in Christ is through faith. And so here I have a quote of which I do not know who is responsible. The habit of resignation is the root of peace. Thus faith quietens us by resignation as a babe is hushed in his mother's bosom. Faith makes us quite willing to do without the mercy which we once prized. And when the heart is content to be without the outward blessing, it is happy as it would be with it, for it is at rest. To be resigned into Christ in all occasions and in all circumstances. It is from this spirit, this virtue, this trained characteristic of contentment, empowered by Christ, comes joy, unceasing praying, and thanksgiving. So if you struggle with a joyful spirit, if you joy with a consistent prayer life, or if you struggle with a consistent prayer life, or if you struggle with Genuine, grateful gratitude. Perhaps it's because you haven't developed the virtue of contentment from which all of these things spring. This year has tested our character to see what's inside of us. Are we responding in a spirit of contentment? Characterized by joy and gentleness and a lack of of fear and anxiety and making sure that we're meditating on the good things? Or is it exposing something of a weakness that we need to develop in Christ as we trust Him in His finished work? So let's trust in Christ, find our contentment in Him, and then from that heart, the Spirit will flow. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks to God in everything, for this is the will of God for you. Our gracious Father, we ask that you would give us the grace to be faithful into putting on the practices that you have commended so that these practices can shape our inner man to conform to these things from the heart. And so with that heart, they will then give forth the fruit of them as we live our life joyfully in glad gratitude completely depending upon You, for Christ is at hand and we can pray in the fellowship with Him without ceasing. Be glorified to work this in our own spirits and bring forth the fruit that would be pleasing to You. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.